0: the Greater Omaha Chamber in partnership with the Heider College of Business at Creighton University, it's Lead Together, conversations to connect you and elevate all of us. A podcast to introduce you to successful leaders and inspire the leader within you. Thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 2 of Lead Together. I'm your host, Todd Darnold. In this episode, we're talking to Christina castro Matukowitz. Christina was born in Columbia and decades ago made Omaha her home. She is the Vice President of Community Affairs at Wells Fargo and is very involved in the community. She credits her mother for teaching her courage and the Girl Scouts for inspiring the leader within her. Christina brings a unique and thought-provoking perspective that we think you'll enjoy. Christina, uh, really excited to have you here today. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, I am excited about this opportunity. And I love podcasts, so being on a podcast is like a dream come true,
0: so thank you. Well, we're, we're happy that you're excited about it, because we're excited to have you. Uh, just Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background? Uh, we're excited to learn more.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So I am originally from Colombia in South America. I was born in a city that uh, the name is Barranquilla. So you have to really roll your eyes to say the name Barranquilla. And it's a lovely city. It's big. It's bigger than Omaha. and Very modern. Uh, It's in the Caribbean, so it's really warm. And I spent about the, uh, I was there until about my mid-20s. And then I moved to the United States. I, I come from a very large family. Uh, we are thirteen uh, children in my family. Um, my mom uh, was very adept to uh, taking nephews, nieces, and other people, uh, other family members, and, and raising them. So that's how we end up with thirteen of us. And um, so my dad. Uh, my dad passed uh, away when I was about nine, 10 years old, so I was, we were raised primarily by my mom, and uh, she put us all, she put all of us to college, and then when I finished college and I was already in the workforce, I had uh, this idea of coming to the United States and, and meet a person that I have met, uh, I can explain later how I met him, and and also to go to school, and um, and that's how I end up here. So that's pretty much in a nutshell.
0: Why do you think your mother valued education so much?
1: You know, I think she did. Uh, my mom, uh, she's a very, very, very smart woman. Uh, not just like like brain smart but also life smart. And unfortunately, she didn't get any education. She she couldn't even finish uh, elementary school. Her own father uh, passed when she was seven years old and that was the end of it. So she had to go to work in a farm uh, with her mom and her stepfather and help uh, feed the family and I know that she she knew she could have had a different life if she had had an education. And I think she wanted to give us that, to give her children that opportunity. And, and she always said to us that the day she died, and fortunately she's still alive, but the day she died she would not leave an inheritance for us. Uh, all she, would, she could give us was an education.
0: So when you moved to the U.S., what were the most exciting opportunities that you saw? What were you? What did you enjoy? What maybe was off-putting?
1: Yes, I saw my move to the United States as a way to start over. And I knew at some point I realized that I could write my own story again. And that was fascinating to me. It was very humbling in one side because... When you write your story all over again, you have to leave behind what you had. And I had some things that I cherished in my my life in Colombia, and I realized that I had to leave that, and I start from zero again. So it was a great opportunity for me, and I look at it from that perspective of the opportunity, but also it was scary because I wasn't the person, no one knew me here and I wasn't the person that I was before. I had to develop my own image here.
0: What choices did you make in terms of authoring your own story, as opposed to just letting someone else write that story for you when you got this blank page?
1: Yes, um, the choice of career. I was um, oriented to working at different um, professional field Colombia, And when I came here, I made the decision that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I had to get a master's degree in order to pursue my new career field. And that was a conscious choice. I debated for about a year or two on what I was going to do. Do I build on what I brought from home and continue that here? Or do I start all over again? And when I made that decision, then I knew I had to work harder to get where I wanted to be.
0: So tell us a little bit about what you're doing, I think, still at Wells Fargo. Is that right? So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Wells Fargo, what you love about that, uh, how you're making an impact.
1: Yeah, I I have been there for over 13 years, which I I it seems unbelievable to me <laughs> that I have stayed uh, for that long. I, I wanted to probably share with you because I think it's important when we uh, you ask me about how the choices I made. So before coming to Wells Fargo, I worked at the, at the Girl Scouts, and I think that was an important step in my career. And I am glad I had the opportunity to work there because I never ever. Had been in a movement like that. Uh, we didn't have Girl Scouts in Colombia, and if they would have it, it would be for people with in a different financial um, position than I was uh, growing up there. But the values that they taught me uh, were very important. That's what helped me make the transition to the to the a professional life in the United States, because I, I got that really good foothold from them and how they also look at, at girls and, and women as leaders, which is a concept that I never had seen before. In, in Colombia, no one told me that I was a leader. I was a leader, but I didn't know that. And here they define it for me, and they say, yes, you are, because And and that was very important. And then uh, when I came to Wells Fargo, uh, moving from a non-profit that, you know, it was relatively small non-profit in Nebraska to work for a multinational corporation, that was a big shock. And I I held very tight to that uh, notion of leadership and and the values that I learned at the Girl Scouts and the values I had from home.
0: Do you recall any specific values that you learned at Girl Scouts that have really been formative for you in your career?
1: Yes. Um, and I don't know how to how, what the proper name for this value would be, but I think something that I learned from them is that you always should do your best. It's the value of uh, achievement, I guess. And um, always do your best, always leave a place better than you found it. And and that has guided me through my life, through my professional life. And I know that anywhere I go, I will try to do that. I will try to live that place better than I found it, better than it was before I got there.
0: So who is one person who's been especially influential in your life? What lesson or lessons did you learn from that person?
1: I think my mother, my mom, is that special person. She was very influential in my life. Uh, at some point, not in a—I mean, I didn't perceive it as a as a positive influence because you know when you are young and especially in your teen, in your teens, uh, you tend to be, you know, rebel and. Not want to listen to your parents, but I look back and she has been very influential. So my mom, um, as I told you before, she didn't get any education. She, she actually, she her family were sharecroppers, and she uh, had to work a lot. And when she was 18 years old or so, she decided she was going to leave the farm, and she was going to work. Somewhere else. She didn't want that for her, and she got some uh, a person to refer her to work as a maid in the city where we live in Barranquilla. And she took her younger sister with her. So my grandma wasn't very happy about it, Uh, but she did it. She did it. She said, "I'm leaving. Uh, I'm gonna go and try something else. I don't want this." And she didn't went. uh, She went and worked as a maid for several years, and she saved money and was able to, you know, to become an independent, financially independent person. And then she met my dad. And then when they got married, then they had uh, the children and all of that. And Everything was fine at that point. And then my dad died. And again, she found herself again in a situation in which she, what do you do? I mean, you don't have resources. You don't have an education. What do you do? And now even worse because she was older and have the children. And what she did is that she found a job. She had that uh, don't she was very well connected in, in the community. She knew everybody. She volunteered a lot. I remember being left I mean like like what I do with my kids that I tell them, um, I'm gonna go to a meeting uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. You guys stay here, uh, feed them dinner, and then leave while my husband stays at home. She used to do that uh, 40 years ago, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, so she was well connected, and she was able to find a job, and, and she raised us of, all, all of us doing that.
0: So what, what were kind of the core values that you live out now that you learned from her? How would you label those?
1: I think courage is is the first one. My mom is. Uh, she told she taught us all of us to be courageous, to not be afraid of taking a challenge. When I moved to the United States, or when I told her that I was coming to the United States, I remember the moment I I was having lunch with her and I said, uh, "Mom, I I'm gonna go to the United States. I'm gonna I'm gonna." Try something there, and she looked at me and she said, "Sure, go ahead and do it. If you don't venture, you don't gain anything. And if it doesn't work, you know that you always have a home here. So what is there to lose?" Mm-hmm.
0: What amazing support!
1: Yeah. So that's correct. That's courage.
0: Yeah, it's it's courage by you, but it's also by her to let yeah. you go and, and support that
1: and she, she told me that not too long ago she was remembering that conversation and she said and don't you think I was so sad I wanted to cry that day when you told me that but I couldn't show you that I needed to show you that you were supported and that it was fine for you to take that step but she said but inside I was screaming. And I was like, you were? And she's like, yeah. So that was a discovery I made recently. Um, one thing that she always said, since we, I remember hearing her say that since I was, since I remember, uh, is that you should love yourself first. She said, if you don't love yourself enough, others are not going to be able to see the beauty in you. And I, I didn't understand that when I was little, like when I was like seven years old. But as I grew up and became a, a woman, I understood that early. And I was like, that's what she meant by that. I have to do that. I have to care enough about myself. Otherwise, other people wouldn't see that.
0: I think a lot of times people think about that as a very personal thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How has that prof- uh, played out in your professional experience, this uh, loving yourself, valuing yourself, how has that impacted you as a leader?
1: You know, that took me longer to to get there, to understand that. Uh, and I think like many other people, and I don't know if this is exclusive to to, to Latina women, I think it probably is not. Uh, but when you started your career, you are so eager and so uh, anxious that you want to make a mark, that you want to... You want to be seen, you want to be successful, that I think uh, to the point that it can be detrimental to your career because you, you make choices that are not the best choices uh, for you career-wise. And and then later on, uh, you learn over time that sometimes it's, it's okay to wait. And that sometimes it's okay not to raise your hand all the time. Um, and I think if I look at the last thirteen years and what I have contributed and what uh, how I have made the company and by extension areas of the community better, is by providing a perspective when we are at the decision making table, particularly in philanthropy and And you know we we have a very generous philanthropy budget. Uh, for all the markets I have, uh, I am responsible for. And when we are at that decision-making table, bringing the diverse perspective is uh, a contribution that is very unique to me Uh, There are very smart people at the table, people who can crunch the numbers or who have the business acumen or who have lived in the community for a longer time than I have. But I, I have the capacity, being who I am, to point out to the diverse perspective that they are not able to see. And, and I think in, in many occasions that has changed the course of action, and I, am, I, I have been uh, happy to see that maybe something that would have been good became something extraordinary because that perspective was included.
0: Has your mother's influence in, on being courageous played into your ability to have an influence in that decision-making those decision-making situations?
1: Most definitely. When you are in a room, and I I don't say this only about Wells Fargo, I have several boards that are like that, when you are the only person of color and the only woman, and you raise your hand and you, you, you say, I don't think that's the only way we can look at this. How about, and people look at you like, who are you?
0: How do you measure success?
1: That's a, that's a really good question. I, um, I wonder about that sometimes. How, how do I know that I am successful or how I look at success in other people? I, I definitely think that there are some external uh, indicators or factors that tell you uh, that you are successful. I mean, financial uh, success, financial indicators. Um, you know, status, symbols of status, all of that is important. But I look at it more as an as a as a state of contentment with who you are and what you have accomplished. And and from that perspective, it's very different from person to person. Uh, for some people, success is to have uh, an eight to five job and pay their mortgage and have uh, have a nice car in the garage. And they feel successful that way. And for others, the sky is the limit.
0: Do you remember the moment when you felt that first sense of contentment around uh, achievements and career and life in general?
1: I I do, I do remember. And you know, it has changed too. Because stage like like stations in life changes your sense of success and, and when do you feel successful. So my notion of success was different when I was when, when I was 29 years old to what it is today.
0: How did you prepare to be a leader? Uh, were there any particular programs or steps you took, life events that shaped the leader you are today?
1: Yeah, I don't think I consciously prepared to be a leader. A- again, when, when I was in Colombia, I didn't know I was a leader. No one told me that, and I didn't even have a notion that I was a leader. I had some idea that I was doing some things right, but that wasn't in in the education that we received there. They didn't they, they, back then. They didn't educate you to be a leader. They educated you to be an individual, a person, a a happy person for you know, that human humanities background. Uh, but here, uh, like I mentioned before, the, uh, the time that I work at the Girl Scouts put me in contact with those leadership uh, theories and, and the concept of women and leadership. And that's when I started to reflect on it and say, yes, that's what I do. When I am at a board meeting, when I am at, at, at a team meeting, when I, I say we should be serving X, Y, or Z community, uh, we should be creating something to fix uh, or to solve a need, that is leadership. And, and that's, that was when I started preparing and reading about leadership and, and understanding and, and, and watching other women's leaders too.
0: So it seems like you have to make a lot of decisions about um, investments to make, boards on which to serve, um, who, communities to serve at work. How do you make those decisions?
1: I definitely I think that there were some boards in the beginning in my career that I joined. Uh, I liked the organizations, but I joined them in, in a few instances because of that desire to make a mark. That I, I remember I, I went through the leadership Omaha program at the chamber and they make you, uh, Linda Schaefer used to make you write off or, or fill out a form and say like, what do you think you're gonna be doing in five years from the leadership perspective? Or, or one year, I think it was, was one year. And I wrote in that piece of paper with such certainty, I am going to be on at least two high profile community boards, period. And, and I did it, but not the right motivation I did it because I wanted to make that mark and say I can't do this um, today the way I make those decisions is completely different I, I won't join a board unless it's a board that or I won't do a project at work if I can manage to say no unless it's something that I am deeply passionate about it that I can dedicate the time and that I think I can make a difference.
0: Tell us a story about a time when you led with your heart while not leaving your head behind.
1: Yeah, I saw that question and I thought about about it. Um, I can look at this from different uh, angles. Let with your heart while not leaving your head behind. I can think about times, especially at work. And I, when I say at work, it's not just about the place where I work, but also community work, being on a board, in which I, have, I had to make a decision that in the short term was perceived as a, a painful decision or it was a painful choice, like allowing someone to go, knowing that at the end or trusting that at the end, things will turn around to be better. And and it's hard because sometimes letting people go, especially people that we like, uh, is tough. And they have made contributions and they have made, uh, they have done great things, but, but sometimes that is what needs to happen for the organization to move forward.
0: So what, in a decision like that, what is the, what is the heart saying to you versus what is the intellectual side?
1: The heart is telling me you, are ungrateful, you are not taking uh, the, the value that this person has provided, and, and you are going to create chaos around you. And the head is telling me, trust the process, look at the vision of the organization, look at what is needed in the future. And keep your eyes on that target and everything is going to be fine. yeah, you do feel very small in those situations, but you have to step up to your power and do the right thing.
0: So, Christina, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was quite inspirational and educational to me, and I can't wait for our audience to hear it.
1: Well, Todd, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I am... Like I told you before, I am a huge fan of podcasts and I can't wait to hear not just this one, but the other uh, guests that you had.
0: Well, we're excited to uh, hear it all come together and for our audience to get to meet you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share with others. Thanks to all of you for listening and thank you to the Greater Omaha Chamber and the Heider College of Business at Creighton University for supporting this podcast. Remember, we don't coast, we lead together. This podcast was produced by Liz Kerrigan with help from Linda Schaefer, Jill Bruckner and Peter Burnell. I'm your host, Todd Darnold, and we look forward to our next conversation.